Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how people in church should treat each other. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to make one announcement and ask for one favor. First, I want to tell you about our VBS. Every year our VBS reaches and impacts a lot of kids. This year it will be July 15th through 19th. And if you have kids in our area, please head to wilsonville.church vbs. There you can learn all of the details you'll need and you can register. You definitely won't regret having your child attend, I promise. The favor I want to ask is simple. If you find this podcast valuable, it would be great if you left us a rating and review. I know I've said this before, but leaving ratings and reviews helps this content be heard by more people. I know it sounds like a long shot, but helping more people hear this might change a life. Think about it. I mean, taking a minute to type a few words about how you've been impacted could literally impact another person for eternity. So please do that, like I said, if you've been impacted by this podcast. Thanks again for taking time to listen. I really do hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So weddings. I want to talk about weddings for a second. I've, I've been to a lot of weddings recently, but I've been to a lot of weddings in my life. How many of you have been to a lot of weddings? Yeah, you all been to a lot of weddings. So I don't want to, I'm not going to trash talk weddings. I think weddings are awesome uh, where we, we get together and we celebrate together. The, literally the earliest covenant ever made by God was the covenant of marriage. And so we in that moment get to celebrate that instance of marriage. It's awesome. Um, and uh, I like, you know, for instance, uh, Pastor Chad, call him that since I'm on stage. Uh, he was the officiant for the last marriage I went to, and it's always cool. You know, you, you, you look at what he's saying, and you think, oh, man, I'm going to say that next time I do it. Or you're like, I'm not going to say that when I do it, right? And, uh, you know, it, it's cool. They walk down, you get that sweet moment of, you know, walk you know, everybody's crying because, oh, my son or my daughter or whatever, and you're looking at them, and you get teary-eyed, and you might not even know the person, and you're still like, wow, I'm emotional because they're emotional. And then they, they do the vows, and they exchange the rings, and then the culmination of it all, the pinnacle moment, the, the most important moment, right? He pronounces them husband and wife, and what do we all do? Oh, we clap, but no, 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 it says whoever the groom is, you may kiss your bride. And then we all watch. We watch as they kiss, right? And for me, like I'm that guy who doesn't know what to do with his hands and photos, right? So when I'm watching someone kiss, I'm like, what is the level of appropriate enjoyment here, right? I'm not going, yes, ah, they're kissing, right? That's weird. It's, it's, isn't it strange that the, the, the culminating moment is all of us just watching other people kiss? If someone said, hey, what are the things you enjoy? I'm not going to be like, dude, I love basketball. I love video games and watching other people kiss. Right? That doesn't make the list. And so I, I, I'm always a little bit weird. It's like I don't know what the level of enjoyment is. And I know, I know that everyone's the same way because imagine you just got married, right? And that uncle that you have, you don't know him very well, but he comes up to you and he sort of gives you that downstairs and he says, by the way, I love watching you two kiss. <laughs> hmm? Right? What are you thinking? You're thinking that's really weird. That's strange. 
and, and, and in our culture, at least, uh, I, we don't always know how to feel about kissing in general. One, when I w- watch some kisses, sometimes I'm like, oh, they're kissing. I'm like, whoa, wait, now they're like kissing, right? That's not, that's, that's an indoor kiss, right? That's, that's not a other people watching type of kiss, right? And so I'm always like, ah, do I watch? What do I do? And do I act in, like I'm enjoying it when I'm really like, my stomach is a weird place? Okay, so you might not feel that way, but that's me. Like the weird guy doesn't know what to do with his hands. But, you know, when I talk to people, I remember ta- talking to some of my students and I ask them, and there's always varying degrees, but like, hey, do you, do you kiss your parents? Do you ki- yeah, I kiss them on the cheek. Do you kiss them on the mouth? No, that's weird. So I'm like, yeah, I kiss my parents on the mouth. How many of you kiss your parents on the mouth? <laughs> yeah, no one's raising their hand, okay? How many kissed your parents? Okay, yeah, not, oh, some of you need to kiss your parents, all right? But we don't know how to feel about kissing. And, and if, if you're anything like me, what I would be if I were sitting where you were sitting right now, you're like, why in the world is he talking so much about kissing? Well, get this. Okay, so uh, Chad, Pastor Chad, excuse me, who uh, writes in advance these outlines for these sermons, and he gives me and he says, hey, this is what you're going over. Okay? So we're on the one another series, how we ought to treat one another, how we ought to interact with one another. And to end this entire series, he gives me this verse, okay? I'm going to read it to you. This is the verse, Romans 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. So when I see kiss, right, imagine where my stomach goes. I'm not asking any of you to get up and be like, all right now, kiss, (laughs) right? I'm going to be real with you. I'm not going to kiss any of you. And frankly, there are only two men in my life uh, I would kiss, my son and, you know what, never mind. There are probably like 10 men I would kiss in my life. (laughs) That sounds really weird, but we'll stop there. But let me submit to you this. When Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss, the emphasis is not on the kiss, but the emphasis is on the greeting. And here's what I mean by that. It's it's not the form of the greeting, but rather the function of the greeting. What's the intention? What, What should the purpose be of our greeting one another? And this is, this is interesting, right? Because greetings seem like it should have been the beginning of the one another series, right? How you greet one another. So this is where we've been. Uh, Chad talked about how we should have affection, uh, have the affection of parents and the devotion of brothers towards one another. He talked about how pride is the barrier between one another Pride is the barrier between one and one another. He always has these weird sticky statements. Okay. Uh, Love, we are in debt even to the undeserving to love continually. We're called to have compassion without compromise. And finally, the last one was putting others first is an outgrowth of our reborn nature as followers of Jesus Christ. So all of these things we ought to be doing for one another. In fact, uh, there are a few one another principles in the Bible. The most common one another principle the, most, the foremost one another principle, that is, it's most frequently cited in the New Testament, is that you ought to love one another. Who would have guessed that? 
right? You know what the second one is? The second most common one another principle in the Bible? You're going to be surprised because I was too. It's greet one another with a holy kiss. So by the end of this, But the reality is this, if we want to live out those things, the things that we've been going over, if we want to live out that love with one another sacrificially, urgently, really, it does start with our greeting, but our greetings are also an outgrowth of that desire to have that type of relationship with one another. And so the, the larger context of Romans chapter 16 is this. It's, act, it's the last chapter of Romans, chapter of, of Romans. It's chapter 16, and it's just a list of greetings all the way through except for one tiny part in the middle. He is greeting individuals and talking about their individual contributions. It's very warm. It's very nice. Um, and he's talking to people who are in Rome. And what's really cool is that Paul at this point has never actually ever been to Rome. So it shows them how mobile the church has been and the relationship that Paul has with Christians all throughout the known world. And among this, this list of people that he's going over, uh, he includes nine women. And, and in fact, uh, the, the person who delivers this letter to Rome is a servant of the church of Sancria. And this woman's name is Phoebe. And she is said to be a servant of the church, which is the word deacon. And so she, hold, she held at least some office in this church. And so Paul is really showing that the, the New Testament gospel, the gospel of Jesus is wildly empowering for all persons in the body of Christ. This was totally unknown in that part of the world where men and women were both working as co-laborers in this gospel. So it was uh, really incredible. And Paul makes specific mention of so many people in this and it's, and it's warm and it's beautiful and it's awesome. But one of the things that he makes specific mention of in uh, verses 5, 10, 11, 14, and 15 is that there are these things called house churches or there are small gatherings all throughout Rome of people who are meeting in homes or just small, small sections with one another. And one of these is the home of Priscilla and Aquila, um, which we take to be a husband and a wife. And I just imagine, uh, I know Chad has done several sermons on what the church is and what it looked like, but I, I just think about, man, what was the church like before before phones, before transportation uh, in, the, in the way that we understand it, uh, before buildings. Like what were they doing? In this case, they were meeting in uh, small buildings and, and if you were a Christian and you were the only Christian within a few miles, you would have been incredibly isolated with respect to fellowship. But if there were two or three Christians in your neighborhood, you were the church in that neighborhood. 
In fact, as persecution got so intense in, in that region, they came up with this thing called the ichthys. You don't know what that word means, but you do know the Christian symbol, right? That you see the Christian fish symbol. And what Christians would do, at least as one ancient story tells us, is that if they were traveling and they met somebody, they would sort of nonchalantly draw just half of the ichthys, the Christian symbol in the dirt or the sand. And if that person drew the other half, then they knew that they were in good company. That was a way of sort of surreptitiously confirming faith because it was so thoroughly persecuted at the time. And so the, the church was different. And in fact, I, I don't imagine a, a church with pews or aligned chairs with charts uh, on the wall or formal attendance and charts with offering. They didn't have song books and song numbers, at least that we know of. The church was so wildly different and the relationships that they had because it was so hard to find other Christians was incredibly intimate and real. In fact, uh, without any stores, to buy material, like, I don't know, when you take communion, you'll see we have the little plastic cups and everything. I mean, you don't have that. You, don't, you can't buy Bible lesson material. So their resources were so few. And in Acts chapter 20, we kind of get a little picture of how the church was operating. Um, so Paul was in a place called Troas. And he was in the church at Troas which was just in a third floor uh, of a building. And it was his last day at Troas, and so he's talking. In fact, the Bible says he was talking on and on and on, right? We know that with Pastor Chad. And, <laughs> and here's this guy who, uh, who I sort of identify with. His name's Ichthus. And Ichthus is a young man, and he's sitting in the third story window, listening to Paul go on and on and on and on. And what can happen when somebody goes on and on and on and on? You get tired, right? So this guy's in the window, he gets tired, and it says, Paul talked all the way until midnight, right? Well, that's that's incredible, especially in a culture where you pretty much went to bed when the sun went down because you didn't want to waste oil for lighting when you didn't have to. So they stayed all the way up till midnight. Ichthus gets tired. He's a young man. He needs to sleep, and he falls out of the window of the third story, right? And what you imagine would happen happened. He died. It's a pretty <laughs> terrible thing to happen when you're in the middle of a sermon. Hopefully that doesn't happen today. And Paul says, well, wait a minute. He goes downstairs, sees that he's dead, and he does what all of you would have done. He lays on top of him. And he says, oh, he's alive, right? He performs this miracle, raises this young man to, to life, and what do they do? It says they go back up, they break bread with one another, they have communion, and then Paul keeps going. And it says that Paul talked all the way till until daylight. My question is, though, where did Ichthus sit? Right? I mean, you died, but you were also raised from the dead, so you're going to chance it again? I don't know. This is a question I have. It doesn't answer it for you. I think it would. 
But you might be wondering, you know, why are we, why are we looking at this? Why are we talking about the church and how it looked probably so different then? I mean, because I think about, you know, maybe at the First Baptist Church of Troas, Baptist didn't exist then, but just imagine for a second. I mean, what did they do with their children? We have a children's ministry. Did they send them off? Uh, I, I think it probably looked more like a sort of a family reunion fellowship in terms of what they had. It looked a lot different than what this assembly looks like here today. And the point I want to make is this is that the church, the thing that we are participating in right now, is an incredibly active, living, and flexible spiritual entity. It can take the posture of what we're looking like right here today, or it can look like those small house churches or those informal meetings that we see in the New Testament. The reality is, as we are part of Christ's body, we are part of the church, we are participating in the thing that Christ died for, that whenever people open their heart to Jesus and follow and obey his commands, they are participating in the church. It's not bound by culture or environment. It can look like whatever it needs to look like. That if we are obedient to Christ and we gather in his name, then we are part of Christ's body on earth, his church. It's an active spiritual entity. And it was always intended to be unified. Paul often talks about how a disunified body doesn't work. Right? If part of your body isn't moving in conjunction with the other part of your body, you look weird and you're probably not functioning correctly. And the reality is, is that in order to get to this unity, you need community, right? In order to get to this unity, you need community. So what does this have to do with kissing? Well, Paul, in, in Romans chapter 16, uh, 17 times in just 16 verses uses that five-letter word, greet. And as I said before, the emphasis is not on the kiss but on the greeting. So I want, I, the first point I want to make about that greeting is this, is that the greeting was redeemed, not replaced. Redeemed, not replaced. Because when we survey our landscape, our cultural landscape, we will see that we are inundated with terrible messaging. Things that are not of God are propagated through all sorts of means and modes of media. You're talking about music. You're talking about TV shows and movies and radio and, and books and other forms of communication, interaction, right? We see that. There are a lot of things that we can look at that just aren't good. Terrible moral values are being propagated in all sorts of insidious ways. And so what do we do? We can run away. Many have. We can all become Amish. 
I'd be terrible at that. I don't know how to even carve wood without cutting myself. So we could run. Or, or we can redeem. And here's what I mean by that. When Paul, when Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss, it's super important that we recognize that the kiss was common. It was just a common form of greeting. In the ancient Western Mediterranean, Jewish, I'm sorry, men in general would greet each other with a kiss. And this was very common all throughout Judea, and it was continued by Christians. However, in the New Testament, the reference changes from kiss to holy kiss. The intention was not to replace, but to transform. The, the Greek word uh, for this is enfilamente agio, enfilamente agio, or enfilamente agapes, which is a holy kiss or a kiss of love. And let me show you some sections where Paul talks about this. We have our Romans 16.16, which says, greet one another with a holy kiss, enfilamente agio. Greet one another with a holy kiss in 1 Corinthians 16.20. Greet one another with a holy kiss in 2 Corinthians 13.12. 1 Thessalonians 5.26 says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And in 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with a kiss of love and filamente agapes. And all of these mentions of greet one another with a holy kiss happen at the end of the epistles. And these epistles were written to Christians, and so the intention was that this greeting was supposed to take part of the normal function of Christian worship. So a normal function of what we do when we gather with one another is we greet one another. In this case, they would greet one another, not with a kiss, but with a holy kiss. They are intended to transform what was common and to make it better. And so for us, it could be a handshake, a fist bump, a hug. Those things are very common, right? Rather than replace, like Christians don't have like a secret thigh grab that they do, right? They don't have like some secret thing like, we don't do what other people do, all right? We have our own thing. No, we do greet like other people, but guess what? Paul has always said that we ought to do it better. If you're going to kiss, you're going to do a holy kiss. If you're going to do a handshake, it better be a holy handshake. If you're going to do a fist bump, it better be a holy fist bump. And so let me um, talk about how we can sort of modify the familiar. I was, as many of you already know, I teach uh, high school. I teach Bible. And one of the things uh, that often comes up as we are uh, going through uh, the Bible and Christianity specifically is that we have to look at other competing uh, religions. You think about um, Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism, which would be um, very prominent ones within our own culture. And one of the things that we studied was looking at the early founders of the Latter-day Saints or Mormonism, looking at Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and others, 
and looking at their Doctrine of Covenants 132. It doesn't matter to you, but that is celestial marriage or polygamy and the early practice of polygamy with the founders. And the reality is that polygamy, celestial marriage or plural marriage, is still happening all throughout the United States because there are these groups of fundamental Latter-day Saints that um, are still practicing these rites in, in the Mormon doctrine. And we watch uh, this phenomenal documentary called Lifting the Veil of Polygamy. And it is um, men and women who were part of these communities and who finally escaped from those communities um, that were in many ways uh, totally brainwashing them. And for the women specifically, it was a terrible situation. And so hearing and seeing, witnessing the stories of these women explain um, their experience with the plural marriage. And one of these women, her name was Susan, and she talked about how the community always taught her that every single person hated her outside of her own community. And if they just knew who you were and what you were doing, they would show that contempt. Nobody outside of this group likes you, loves you, or even wants to be around you. Everyone outside of this group hates you. And this was instantiated into her very core. It was part of her being and part of her understanding. But the reality is that they don't all live on these compounds somewhere. They live in communities where they're surrounded by people who don't share their faith. But they will flee from those interactions because as they know, if they just knew who you were, they would hate you. Well, Susan had a neighbor. Um, a, uh, a old Baptist lady who um, knew. She knew what was going on. She had seen Susan uh, with her sister wives. She had seen all of this, and she would always go out and try to interact with Susan and try and say hello and have these interactions and all this. And finally, as Susan was trying to avoid this lady as she continually did because she said, if she just knew, she would hate me. And as Susan was trying to get away, you know how people get into your bubble and you're like, yeah, 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 and you keep moving and they keep filling it in. Well, this, this Baptist lady was that way. She was a bubble filler. And she kept filling Susan's bubble. And eventually, as Susan's trying to turn around, the lady grabs her by the hand and looks into her eyes and says, I just want to know how you are doing. And Susan knew at that very moment that that lady knew her and loved her anyways and it shattered her very worldview because she knew, Susan knew in that very moment that she had been lied to her whole life. And she said in that moment, if they lied to me about this, what else had they lied to me about? And it took one old Baptist lady going up to her and not just saying hello, but man, she gave her a holy greeting. 
It was a greeting that was so much deeper and more profound than the empty platitudes that we are accustomed to. We shake and we smile, but the reality is that we are veiling and concealing rather than revealing and healing. When we greet one another, Christians ought to be doing it better. In fact, Christians have a long history of, of doing this, of redeeming the familiar. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, in, in ancient days, if there was a pagan holiday, Christians would put their holiday on it and say, well, we'll do it better. There's Christian music. There's Christian movies, which we're getting better. I'll just say still needs improvement, but we're getting better. Christian radio, any sort of media, if there's a TV show, there's a Christian TV show. We are not avoiding, we are attempting to redeem. We are attempting to do it better. And I would say that we are guilty of the empty platitudes. We are guilty of the empty greetings. I told you that, that when we have a special section, before I came out here, we had a special section and time to greet one another. This is because this harkens all the way back to the ancient church where it was intended that the people of God greet one another, not in the high fives that you just high five and say, good to see you, actually don't care, right? Hey, you, forgot your name, but too embarrassed to ask right? It was intended to reflect our deep and sincere desire for relationship with the people around us, that we want to know, understand, and be a part of the lives of those we share community with. And here's why this was so important to Paul, is that Paul understood that community prevented disunity. I told you that Romans chapter 16 was an entire list of greetings except for one small section right in the middle. He sandwiches a warning between his greetings. This is, this is the warning. It's in Romans chapter 16 verse 17 right after the greet one another with a holy kiss. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. See, when we are not living in community, it is so terribly easy to become ununited. It is an unfortunate reality of the human condition. And we instead are supposed to show genuine affection for one another because it is a safeguard against disunity. If we love the people around us, it is hard to not get along. Right? Even, for instance, when I would fight with my sister. My goodness, did I have some fights. I had a briefcase full of pocket knives and I would threaten her with them. Uh, that sounds terrible, but let me tell you what she did to me, okay? <laughs> so, I, uh, I can watch scary movies. How many of you like scary movies? 
Some of you like scary movies. I know my brother-in-law does. But I can't really watch, like, spiritual scary movies. Right? I can watch the slasher ones where it's like, whatever. But, like, the spiritual ones where it's like, yeah, this person has a demon. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to watch that. Right? Because that, for me, it's like, that stuff's real. Like, I don't, that stuff freaks me out. So I lay awake at night, and it's, and it's like, there's a demon in this room. Right? I, that's what I feel. I don't know. Right? I just think it's every shadow is something terrible. So my sister uh, would look at me, and it would be dark, and I'd be in her room. And she would go, Matthew, I have a demon in me. That's what she would do. And I would say, you better stop it. You stop right now. She's like, I can't. Right? And I would freak out, and then I would say, I'm getting my briefcase. That's what I'd say. And she would stop. So we didn't, we didn't always get along, right? We had problems and issues, but we loved each other. So we could always reunite. And I'll tell you what, we could be fighting. We could be in the middle of like, yeah, she said that, and I'm mad at her or whatever. But if someone came up and tried to say something or do something wrong with my sister, I would be the first one to step in and say, no, you did not. That's my sister. I do it, not you, right? I'm willing to defend because I love my sister. I have a genuine, real, deep, and abiding relationship with my sister. And Paul says, I want you to have that with one another in your churches. Real, deep, meaningful relationships. Because guess what? Then, even if you get mad at each other, you know how to reunite. Because love knows how to reunite. That's, that to me is awesome. And, and I love that in, a, in the middle of the greetings, Paul puts that warning for disunity. Because if we greet each other with the sort of affection, the holiness that he describes, we will be safeguarding ourselves from disunity. I'm not going to go long like I did last time, but I'll tell you what. I told you about Paul. I'm not breaking any records. My third point is this. This is a creative one. You may get the reference. If you don't, too bad. I'm not going to explain it. The third point is this. You'll never have them at hello. Anybody? Okay. Dud. All right. Which is to say this. The greeting is not just the beginning. Indeed, the sort of greeting which Paul refers to is also actually the result It's the result of something deeper and abiding. So we have this twofold understanding of a greeting. Yes, a greeting is something that you do initially, maybe with someone that you you aren't familiar with and you don't know, and Paul wants that to be holy. He wants you to show that you want a deeper relationship, that you want to know that person uh, more really. You want to invest in that person's life. And then also, You should be greeting each other in a holy sense when you do have that deep and abiding relationship with them. And you should want to, right? When you you should always be happy and sincere in greeting one another. And if you don't have that, then you should be working towards that. That is a part of the Christian fellowship. In fact, Fellowship and community and relationship are so fundamental to the core of our very beings as God created us that you could literally die without it. That's weird. You're like, 
Don't say things so extreme. That's a lie. I'll tell you what. The emperor Frederick in the 13th century over uh, Western Rome, he had this belief, Christian guy, though you're going to wonder how that is the case once I explain the story to you. Christian guy, he said, I want to know what the original language was. You know, was it Hebrew? Was it Greek? Was it Latin? What? What's the original language that Adam and Eve spoke, for instance, in the garden? What's the original language? And he believed that language is an innate function of humanity, such that if you just left people alone, that it would manifest. This language would come out. That is, language is not caused, as we know now, by exterior influence, right? For instance, my son learned English because I know English, and if I left him alone, he wasn't just going to start speaking Hebrew. But the belief was, yeah, they would. They're going to speak whatever language Adam and Eve spoke. So in order to test this theory, Frederick had a few infants isolated completely from the human voice. He said, I want these infants to never hear the sound of a human. And so he, he made these wet nurses, that is these uh, women who would breastfeed these infants and that weren't the mothers because they were taken from the mothers, which already you're like, dang, all right? Swore them to silence, and it's probably because a mother wouldn't do that, right? Yeah, I'll be silent. I don't want to talk to this kid. Um, so took these wet nurses, swore them to silence, and though it was hard, they did it. They did not talk, did not make a, a human noise at all. And so these infants lived without human voice without human sound for a few months and then all of them died. All of them without any human voice, without hearing the vocal melody of a mother, a father, or another human being died. More recently, 1985 at least, a uh, professor of epidemiology, which is the study of sort of how diseases spread. Uh, he's a professor, uh, Leonard Simey, out of the University of California at Berkeley. He studied social ties. And he looked ab about how when, when communities are more culturally integrated and more, uh, share more in common in terms of their cultural or social ties, he looked at Japan specifically, which is the number one in health, that mortality rates plummeted. The spread of disease plummeted. And conversely, he looked at areas where people were more isolated, where they had less in common, fewer social ties, and he saw that disease rates and health plummeted, mortality rates increased. It was, it, he, he concluded that a strong preventative against both physical um, uh, Ill illness and mental and emotional illness was community. When we are living in community with one another, when we are unified and share more in common with one another, we are actually healthier. God has built into our very cores, into our very beings, the intention of relationship. So in order to be faithful to that intention of relationship, our greetings should always lead us 
toward and deeper into that direction. So Paul's greetings that make up almost the entirety of the last chapter of Romans 16 belie a much deeper relationship. As Christians and as a Christian community, we should be doing fellowship and relationship better than our non-Christian contemporaries. And if I could leave you with, with one encouragement, it would be this. Don't come to church just because you want to hear the sermon and leave, or you want to sing the music and go, or because your kids like a children's ministry. Don't be the type of person that just leaves church and neglects one of its most foundational and important elements, and that is community and relationship with one another. We should be treating one another in the, holiness, the holiest of ways. We should be greeting one another with sincerity, with compassion, with genuineness, and with love. And I'll tell you, that will cause for a totally united church. And that's what I want today and tomorrow and the next day. And I pray that you would be encouraged by that and that you would be someone who tries to greet one another with holiness. So please pray with me. Lord, I just thank you so much that you are a God who speaks actively through your word, that we are your body united here on earth for your good purposes. I pray that you would use us as a community to affect your love into the world, God, but first your love would change us here with one another that we would be people who greet one another with holiness, with compassion, with love, with genuineness, God, that we would be a community that is united behind your cause, God, that we would not get stuck on debatable matters, that we would not get stuck on things that don't matter, but that we would be totally focused on your love and salvation for the world, and that we would be united in this, and that we when, have the, when we have the opportunity, we'd greet one another with holiness. And we love you in your precious and holy name. Amen.